And hello, radio listeners. This is an Informed Life radio show on 1150 KKNW. I am Javier Figueroa, your host for today's show, uh, with Bernadette Pager co-hosting from an unknown and undisclosed location in America somewhere. Uh, we have today a couple of uh, great guests uh, coming on board to discuss some of the uh, uh, efforts uh, being uh, put upon by our public uh, servants and employees that work in the fire department and what they've been having to do in order to uh, have an informed choice of what they put into their bodies and also having control over some health decisions that they get to make for themselves and for their families. So Bernadette, how are you today? Hi, I'm good. Can you hear me from my undisclosed location? <laughs> I, mean, I can tell people where I am. I'm actually in, in Holton, Kansas, uh, not too far from my sister on our journey a- across the country. We are moving from Washington State to Tennessee, and um, it has been quite a journey. We're pausing here for a bit to be near family and before we head on, but I am not um, in spirit and in my advocacy work, I am not leaving Washington State or Informed Choice Washington heart and soul still there with family and friends fighting for freedom, medical freedom, informed consent. And I'm just, I'm, I'm so pleased um, with the guests that you found today, these awesome firefighters. So yeah, let's uh, go ahead, Javier, and bring them on board. You got it. So first and foremost, I want to make sure that you guys introduce yourselves the way you want to be introduced. So uh, Mike, why don't you start off and let us know a little bit about yourself and you know what, uh, what you've been doing in the, in the fire department. Uh, sure. Can you hear me okay? Absolutely. All right. Wonderful. Um, yeah, my name is Mike Todd, and uh, I'm a firefighter with the Seattle Fire Department. I've been with Seattle for 27 years. And uh, before we get started, I think I'll speak for Lieutenant Vale and myself in the sense that we represent our own opinions. We do not represent the opinions of the Seattle Fire Department and may not necessarily even represent all the opinions, of course, of um, all the others who are in our shoes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I find myself as uh, someone who categorically refuses to get vaccinated um, on the wrong side of the political zeitgeist, if you will. And so um, yep. we're doing everything we can to uh, fight the noble fight and, and, and do our best to, uh, to stand up really against this tyranny. And what about you, Jeff? Yeah, um, yeah, Mike, Mike said it well. Um, these are my views, not that of the Seattle Fire Department. Um, and uh, I'm a 20, almost 20 year lieutenant with Seattle Fire. Um, uh, I love working for the Seattle Fire Department um, and they're forcing us out uh, based on our refusal to take the COVID vaccine, regardless of the fact that we have a pandemic of the vaccinated in our fire department. So um, uh, it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense, um, you know, and I'd also like to say, first and foremost, Mike and I feel, I think Mike, this speaks for Mike as well. Um, this for us is not about vaccinated versus unvaccinated. This is not about creating more division in America. We love our vaccinated and unvaccinated brothers and sisters in the fire department. And the vast majority of them, whether vaccinated or unvaccinated, support our choice. And when they want to keep us on as firefighters, uh, it's really coming down from the administration who to me seems like is driven by a political agenda. I've had the unique experience of sitting at the, uh, uh, the quote unquote negotiating table through this process, which they have not negotiated at all. Um, and they've had uh, plain facts uh, in front of them from me uh, and others from the get go as to how um, 
losing us is going to create much more hardship on them than keeping us. Um, and they are running headlong into their own destruction and potentially the destruction of the fire department. And that's a very important point. It's not just going to be the fire department. It's going to be the police department. It's going to be hospitals. It's going to be all the basic infrastructure that keeps our communities running and operating safely and effectively here in uh, Washington and King County and the city of Seattle. So um, this is, uh, again, uh, this story is being multiplied uh, hundreds and hundreds of times across the nation and across all communities. What I would like to get uh, perspective from you is, you know, what were the changes that you saw during the, the year-long uh, uh, efforts that were being put to, to, you know, basically stop the spread and do all the things that you guys were doing? You guys were operating without any sort of vaccine uh, this entire year, and you were putting, you know, going out there and doing your jobs. So what, was, what were some of the changes that you saw coming? Over, over the year prior to getting this mandate um, in place? Well, um, you know, uh, for me, it, it felt like I was a character in some uh, dystopian uh, novel, to be honest with you, because, you know, I, I think if this is not your first rodeo with this type of uh, situation, uh, you can kind of see it happening as it unfolds and you can kind of anticipate what the next step is. And uh, insofar as, uh, you know, uh, when it at two weeks to flatten the curve, um, our particular family uh, took that as you've got about one year to get out of Western Washington. And uh, we started the process at that point. Um, we may have not have moved far enough away right now, but uh, uh, so uh, for me, it, it just felt so Orwellian because, um, you know, the, the, the narrative in the media, the narrative coming from, uh, you know, the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, and the narrative in my life and at my church and in my community, it, it, these were two polar opposite narratives. And uh, I honestly, for me personally, I felt like a traitor going to work. And uh, I, I drive the heavy rescue for the city of Seattle on my shift. And I felt like a traitor wearing a mask. I really did. Um, and, you know, the, the, the fire department dynamic is, is we, we, we work with each other and we, we get, cut each other a lot of slack, give each other a lot of leeway. So um, I was never a hardliner. Like I will absolutely not wear my mask. If my supervisor asked me, I would, because I, I value my relationship with my supervisor. But it was, uh, there was a, a form of internal humiliation for me to, to do that because, um, you know, um, uh, here we are, right? And, and, and uh, maybe had we stand our ground a little bit more vehemently then, uh, we would be in a stronger position now. As far as call volume, our call volume for me, where I work, actually went way down. I think with the economy and the decimation of the economy and small businesses, and and we all know we weren't operating in a vacuum. We had the the the, the tension with the police and and really the systematic destruction of the city taking place. And um, I think our morale, you, you know, the, the 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 firefighters themselves. I mean, we're very good at compartmentalizing. We're very good at finding dark humor sometimes in things. And um, so, you know, we got along fine as a crew. I, I love the guys and uh, women I work with and, uh, you know, um, but we've sort of reached a crescendo moment right now. Absolutely. And before I move on to you, Jeff, uh, in your experience, or at least in your training, uh, when you were told to wear a mask, how, what was the effectiveness? Were you required to wear masks and your job, like say during a flu pandemic? No, no, um, not for uh, me in particular. We we 
we never wore masks for flu pandemic. I'm sure, you know, if uh, we've always been encouraged to put them on the patients, right. right? If we had a TB patient or something like that, somebody like that, we'll put the mask on the patient. Uh, but it was never a standard operating procedure when you go on an aid call or a medic response to, to for yourself to wear a mask. You wear your your uh, your EMS gloves, your glasses, sometimes your gown if it was a trauma or a messy right. run. But uh, that was the extent of it. And what about you, Jeff? What was your experience? Uh, you know, did you see the the uh, you know uh, storm clouds forming uh, early in the year? Yeah, for sure. I remember having uh, conversations when the first mask mandates dropped in society and in the department, um, and talking even to my pastor at one point at church, saying um, because we were we were we were discussing how that should be handled at the church, um, and I, and I said listen, this is more than a piece of cloth. This will result in mandatory vaccination. And that was over a year and a half ago. And he, he, he was very kind, but he kind of shook his head like, really, what you think that? And I was like, oh yeah, it's coming. And I remember talking to another firefighter that said, I promise you, Seattle Fire Department will be requiring vaccination for COVID. And uh, another great friend of mine, he kindly replied. He's like, well, but we have a union. That, that can't happen. Like, there's no way. The union will be outraged. And not anything to the sort has happened from the union, actually. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I saw, I saw it coming. Uh, I actually worked at a COVID site for three months. I ran a COVID test site for three months. I've actually had COVID. Um, but, uh yeah, the, the hard the hardest part, I think that 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 fire for firefighters, I think like we could put our 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 extra PPE on on the calls. Everybody's diligent about doing that. Um, we can put them on in the grocery store. We can, but when they took away what we call the beanery table in Seattle Fire, it's old school. That means the the dining room table. That's culture for us. That's where we come back from a, a crappy run where you know uh you know uh, I a teenager jumped out of a window and smashed her head on the concrete or whatever. I'm just recalling numerous calls from the back in my mind that's where we debrief that's where we diffuse we eat together we work out together uh we laugh together and when they there were literally memos that came out that said you know essentially don't be in another room with another person and even if you are in a room by yourself this is an aerosolized issue wear your mask because you could basically leave your spit floating in the air for the next guy to walk in the room i mean it was it was absolute uh, madness in my opinion. And, uh, you know, um, the, the fire department, the, the firefighters are very common sense. The vast majority of them, they really struggled to do that. And, uh, I, I would probably guess that you saw a lot of firefighters still eating together. <laughs> that's my guess. Um, uh, just a little speculation there because we love each other. That's why. Yeah. And it sounds more, what it looks like from from my perspective as well, this has been a slow rollout and a buildup of uh, compliance to see how far they can push things. Uh, PPE, you know, is basically the tip of the spear of a, of a vast organized uh, system to ensure protection. And it's, it's the least effective in terms of preventing uh, spread and illness. And again, uh, as we all know from uh, previous uh, flu influenza pandemics, that you know, wearing masks is not an effective measure for controlling spread. Firefighters know that. Police officers know that. Hospitals, uh, nurses know that, and, and uh, industrial hygienists, people that specialize in this, know this. And this is the first time that it's happened where we're actually using universal masking uh, at all levels to quote control the spread and stop uh, stop uh, 
uh, SARS-CoV-2. So this is this is really amazing to hear from both of you that the moment you heard mandatory masking, you were already thinking, oh, there's something bigger coming down the pike. So at what point, and this is something that uh, I, I want listeners to, to understand, uh, these, are, these are folks that love their community so much that they decided to take the extra step and work and reach out with other brothers and sisters in the fire and police departments to do something that I think was brilliant. So uh, I don't know who wants to take the lead on this, Mike or Jeff, regarding what you guys did as the next step to fight this injustice. Go ahead, Mike. Well, um, I'm probably not the, the greatest person to talk about common law, but uh, the reality is we've done a lot of things. Um, we have the, the, uh, the statewide lawsuit led by Nathan Arnold uh, that that actually had a, a hearing today, I believe, and I'm probably not using the right terminology. Uh, we're using a process called common law, which is essentially based on the constitution and uh, our rights and our freedoms as, as uh, just individuals. And we've been assisted by some wonderful people there. Uh, they're employing it right now in San Francisco. Uh, we have, we, we've really done, we've, we've thrown the kitchen sink at this, but we've, we've tried to stay classy. We, we've tried to stay uh, above board um, and, and try not to get nasty. You know, I personally have filed a, uh, a, a whistleblower complaint using uh, Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long's uh, whistleblower complaint uh, from the military as it relates to what she was seeing with her airmen and uh, applying that to um, our, our firefighters and specifically our divers who are uh, at risk for, for clotting disorders just by the, the nature of the diving environment. Um, you know, we, we've, we've spoken out at the, to, the, to the union, at the union meetings. We've, been, we've encouraged um, really anybody in any position to speak truth to the people around them and then the people above them. And uh, but but I think what you're uh, specifically um, identifying is a, is the common law procedure where it's a, basically uh, it's really fascinating in the sense that uh, the 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 person that you have the the grievance with um, does not get to hide behind an attorney. They have to answer you in affidavit form, and if they choose not to answer you, then uh, that does not work in their favor. And uh, you we're we're um, I'd say we're. 80% of the way through the process that will ultimately result in um, us having the ability to bring, in our case, our, our fire chief, our um, human resources director, and our mayor um, in front of a judge with essentially what is just myself, uh, the, the, the mayor, for instance, and the judge uh, without, without an attorney present. But there's um, between 33 and 37 of us. I don't have the exact number on the top of my head that are um, collectively doing this process and it, and it involves um, having individuals served with legal papers. And, and I have to say for me personally, it breaks my heart. I'm not the type of guy. Like I, I have, I, I've never been a, a, a problem child to the fire department. I've, I've tried to color within the lines. I've the, the people that are in headquarters right now in my instance are people I've grown up with. I've written aid cards with them. I've, I've come into the department with these people. I love these people as individuals, and uh, it's a strange situation, especially in the fire department, where now we we uh, we find ourselves um, in a situation where whatever we write, whatever correspondence, may very likely end up um, in court someday. And what about you, Jeff? How did you uh, hear about this approach, or did you do something different? Uh, yeah, we've kind of like 
Mike said, we've kind of thrown the kitchen sink at it. Um, and uh, there's traditional lawsuits uh, at the state level. There'll be traditional lawsuits at the pending at the uh, city level uh, for sure. Um, and we've 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 complied and, and walked through them with the exemption process to see if that was an open door. Um, and like they did at the state level, they have um, accepted the vast majority of religious exemptions and then functionally denied them by saying we cannot accommodate you um, because it creates undue hardship, which actually they're creating much more hardship by getting rid of us through staffing shortages, budget crises, millions and millions and millions of taxpayer dollars paid uh, or used to train and hire new employees that you already had employees in those positions it's the poor staff people in the offices are just getting obliterated right now so um well and we just got a the latest memo we just got was that they're going to now put officers lieutenants like me into positions like mike who's the driver of a ladder truck that's one of their contingency plans they're going to give me a temporary emergency vehicle operation training to drive a vehicle, which I have not done for years, to try to mitigate the fact that they're losing a ton of drivers. Uh, it's, it's, you, you call it, that, that's an undue hardship on everybody. So anyway, sorry to get back to your point. I'm also part of common law and the common law is really cool. The, the challenge we're, we're seeing a bit in San Francisco is that common law is an old law. 200 years ago, this would have been, this it's foundational. Yeah. This would have been a piece of cake. But now uh, judges are much more used to dealing with statutory law. And so- right. The struggle is to kind of get them to understand what we're doing, and you're not ruling on procedures and statutory. You're ruling essentially on the Constitution. So I'm a part of that common law process. Whether we win or lose, to me, being on the right side of, of history and of the argument is always a win. Uh, and I'm willing to take sacrifices in my personal life, my bank account, whatever, to show my kids and my family um, and people around me that we need to start standing up and doing what's right. That's, that's always how it has to be. Uh, when you reach a point when uh, the, the legislature and the uh, lawmakers are the ones that are imposing this illegally, you have to start going back to basics because statutory law is so complex, uh, so um, uh, burdensome to the common person uh, that it really becomes an uphill battle and common law is really getting down to basics, asserting your common rights your natural rights, and in some circles, your God-given rights to do what you need to do to stay healthy and to function as society. Bernadette, did you have any questions or, or comments that you wanted to make? Yeah, I, I wanted to make one comment. And first of all, just say thank you so much for, for being on the show and standing up and being brave and, and speaking about this. This is what it takes from everybody to, to end this nightmare. You're experiencing the systemic capture of business, public health, public entities by powerful forces, some of them pharmaceutical, some of them others with, you know, we won't go into that now, but with nefarious designs, because, um, you know, like one of you were saying, I pause with Jeff and the other, Mike, um, is these are your friends you're working with. You know, these are good people and they are being pressured from above to institute orders that make no sense, that are not based on product capability, on infection um, severity, you know, 99.9% survival rate uh, by ignoring natural immunity. So much does it make sense. And it's, it's really not these individuals that 
that we're at war with. And yet that's who we're having to fight. And it must be very, very difficult to be in your shoes and do that because everything is captured. It was captured pre-COVID. A couple of years ago, I gave a presentation to the Washington State Board of Health, and I talked about the tight fabric of, of the pharmaceutical industry having captured so much in society. And nobody, nobody can see it, and, or nobody would talk about it, because if you did, you were labeled anti-science, anti-vaxxer, mm. right? And so all of this was in play and had been built up, and everything was prepared when COVID hit to not only push the masks, just as you just as you intuitively understood, masks to be placeholders for creating a network, a fabric, a systemic, um, uh, I can't think of the right word, but everything was in, in place, placeholders with a mask to then move the vaccines in. You were already used to not getting on a plane if you didn't have the mask, and now they're just gonna swap it out for that vaccine passport. And everything was in place. So what you experienced was definitely planned, systemic, and a lot of people are profiting. One question I have is for Jeff, because in your opening remarks, you said something very intriguing. You said that you are seeing within the fire department a pandemic of the vaccinated. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. Um, so the latest numbers from our exposure team for the month of uh, of it was for August. I we don't I don't have September's numbers yet. Um, <clears throat> no, that was September's numbers actually. September's numbers. We had 15 COVID positive uh, firefighters. We had four where vaccination status was unknown. They don't track that for every single person. But we had 11 where vaccination status was known. Out of the 11 who were mm -hmm. um, COVID positive with known vaccination status, nine of them were vaccinated, two were not vaccinated. And that actually just, and that's, we, you know, fire department being a public health thing, we have a fairly high vaccination rate, but that even outruns our vaccination rate at that time. Um, and, uh, and, and regardless, I mean, if it's a vaccine, then they sh we shouldn't be getting anybody positive who's vaccinated, right? Um, and then uh, the numbers in, in uh, August were, almost identical. I think it was around 70 something percent. I can't remember the exact numbers. Very similar. Um, I didn't track it before that. Um, but the department refuses to acknowledge that. Um, I've put it plainly in front of them regularly. Uh, they have uh, dis disparate uh, quarantine policies for the vaccinated, the unvaccinated. And the vaccinated, what we're finding is they, uh, they're they also ending up with walking COVID. They have right. symptoms often. And so they walk in with uh, same viral mm -hmm. loads, but less symptoms. And then um, they spread it to a bunch of firefighters and consequently the firefighter fire department's bleeding cash based on their quarantine policies because then they quarantine anybody and everybody who was anywhere near this person. Exactly. Uh, and, and, uh, it's not because they're all getting sick. It's because just that's their policy, you know? So, and I mean, I don't fault them for that. They're trying to be able to show that they're doing, I mean, common sense wise <laughs> I do, but I understand the, the rules they're working under and, and whatnot. They're trying to show that they're making an effort. So, um, but that's what's, but that's what's happening in the fire department. Yeah. And, and so I keep telling them by, mm -hmm. by forcing us out last month, you would have gotten two of your, uh, exposures out and you would have still had nine left. How is this make any, how does this make any sense? Exactly. And you know what, what has to happen, you know, we've got the individuals, we've got the, the workers, the employees standing up now and fighting back. But exactly what you said about like, you understand how your bosses are just trying to show that they're doing what they're supposed to do. Okay, the next step of 
getting rid of all this nonsense is for brave employers mm -hmm. to say no the dictates coming down from above make no sense <laughs> we will not follow them and when that begins to happen wow the whole thing snowballs because there really is no teeth behind everybody's acting out of fear that they're going to get in trouble but but if every single fire department just did what made common sense to protect health you would all be fully operating nobody would be out of a job and your communities would be much better protected and if every fire department did that you know the state governments aren't going to go after every blessed one of you you know i mean they're crazy but not quite that crazy so so how you know the next step is educating that next level up and getting them to be brave enough, you know? So, you know, that's, it, I, I'm, it's gonna happen. It's gonna snowball and it, it starts with you guys. So, yeah. uh, go ahead. Oh, um, I, I was just gonna say, uh, Bernadette, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and that's my appeal, you know, um, I don't know your audience, but, but I imagine uh, a significant percentage would be sympathetic to this cause, but I wanna talk to the people who aren't or maybe the people in, in our administration who might be might be working or watching this. And I ask you to, to, to please take take Bernadette's words uh, to heart that, you know, this this is not, uh, this is about our society, this is about our country. And the key to any movement, the, the key to shining a light on injustice are the whistleblowers, are the people from the inside, are, are the, the people who've had enough. And by turning a blind eye or protecting your job for another six months, you save nothing. You save nothing for your family. You save nothing for your children. Um, you know, as well as I do, any insider, if you're a, a police fire, if you're city light, you see the city circling the drain and the city is, it's not just the city of Seattle, it's the state of Washington, it's our country. Uh, and we, you know, there's a, I'm trying to think of the name of the book. I, um, I think I believe it's deep survival, but there's a concept in there that we as firefighters have to pay attention to. And it's the sense that in 27 years, every fire I've gone to and every emergency I've done, no matter what, what I personally have done, I go home to my family. So I can, I can, I can uh, develop sort of a sense of immunity to, to my actions because I'll, no matter what I do, I go home. Well, that's until I, I don't, right? Until, until uh, the danger catches up with me. And we're, we're living in the stupor in this country that, well, we've weathered crises before and we're just going to kind of muddle our way through them. This one's different. This is this is it. If you're looking for a sign, as I said in other places, this is your sign. You need to stand up. Um, so the people in the fire department headquarters, or the police department headquarters, or um, God bless the office staff who, as Lieutenant Vale had mentioned, are just getting slammed from all, all, all angles. You need to have courage to stand up and look this situation in the eye and see it for what it is. We We are... We have been co-opted by people who hate all of us. They don't just hate the 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 unvaxxed, they hate the vaxxed. And and so it's time. It's time we stand up in this country, uh, regardless of what your position or your job is. And just I uh, wanted to follow up with that. So what we're seeing right now is basically acquiescence by uh, not, not wanting to be singled out and punished. Have you guys heard of any sort of administrative punishment for the people up above, the administrators, the fire chiefs, the, the HR uh, representatives, if they said, no, we're good, we're, we're not going to enforce it. Has anyone told them or have you heard of anyone being told that these are the consequences, that your budgets are going to get cut, 
that we're going to start laying off people? I have not heard anything like that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't speak to that for sure, but um, I do know that Mayor Durkin was one of two politicians who stood there with Jay Inslee and implemented their own personal um, proclamations at the same time. Um, and we are seeing around the state uh, numerous uh, fire departments standing up and chiefs saying, no, we're going to keep all our employees and here's how we're going to do it. We're going to keep everybody safe while we do it. We're not going to be haphazard or act like right. there isn't a disease going around or, you know, whatever, but they're, they're doing that risk benefit analysis well, where they're comparing the risk of losing these employees and service to the citizens and the cost of that literally financially as well versus the risk of keeping a few unvaccinated people and keeping our best safe safety measures in place that we can. And then you see a department like Seattle Fire, where the mayor actually stood up there. Well, our fire chief is handling it very differently. And then we've actually been privy to meeting notes from King County, um, uh, King County fire chiefs, um, and their meetings. And the same kind of rhetoric is being pushed there. And sh not shockingly, they're all under Dow Constantine, who was the other politician who stood up there with Jay Inslee and created his own mandates. So um, I can't say that I know they're getting pressure, but I can tell you that all these fire chiefs are appointed by mayors and by um, you know other politicians. And they have, in my opinion, lost their courage as leaders. We're seeing brave firefighters like Mike Todd, who who has not even taken a promotional test once in the fire department, standing up and putting a, a target on his back. And we're seeing fire chiefs like our fire chief, Harold Scoggins, who uh, refuses, he has made himself a political pawn um, for the mayor, rather than say, I'm actually a fire chief who is supposed to make sure this fire department functions well so we can respond to citizens in a timely and effective manner. And he's sacrificing the efficiency and effectiveness of the fire department to follow along with a political agenda that makes no sense. And I've made sure to show him this numerous times uh, so that he can't say he's acting in ignorance. So this is really becoming uh, blatantly obvious that this is no longer politics as usual. This is something else, like Mike, you've said, and I think, Jeff, you've been intimating at, and something that we've been observing for many years, the, the encroachment and the abuse of, uh, of the political class and the leadership class to implement things that we know are ineffective and cause damage. And that is something that is not only just happening here in the fire department and police department and in hospitals, but is now quickly or is already happening in our schools, high schools and universities where we're seeing this uh, reckless, illegal, immoral um, enforcement of mandates and uh, medical interventions that should not have even come to the light of day at this point. And that is something that, you know, hopefully enough people are listening and tuning in and realizing that a line has been crossed. The Rubicon has been crossed on this one. Javier, can I, can I say one thing to your last question as well? And um, th this is a question I'd ask to anybody because uh, one of the uh, who has who who is in a position where they're they're evaluating, let's even say the vaccine, because all we hear is uh, NIH, CDC, FDA, right? And that's just it's a little loop. And my question is, is the person doing this evaluation, or or uh, maybe your medical director, or any person in that chain, 
are they allowed to your point would they be allowed to disagree and keep their job i contend no yeah. right because because yeah. essentially we're disagreeing we can't keep our job it's a little bit different circumstance we're not being asked to give a thumbs up or thumb down on the vaccine in terms of uh disseminating it to our people but can our medical director disagree does he have the freedom the scientific freedom uh, to employ the scientific method, and if if his consensus was this is wrong, would he keep his job or would he lose his job? Would his supervisor keep his job or lose his job? Would our fire chief, if he if he goes home to his wife and says, "Honey, th this is a travesty. I can't I can't deal with it." Can he keep his job? And and should we not factor that into things? I'll give you the answer. The answer is no. Our fire chief is gone if he if he steps out. The mayor would fire him in a heartbeat, right? And so. Um, and we that's have to exactly factor that into the equation. Stand up, though, right? So everything that you're saying is exactly why they use fear to control everybody. And if you are, everybody has to have courage. That fire chief who knows that these policies are absurd and dangerous. And if he doesn't have find the moral courage to stand up, he's sent, sentencing his children and his ch great grandchildren to a tyrannical world where anything they want injected in you or any control they want to have, they will do. This is not about your individual little world. This is really about the world we're creating moving forward. And everything is done with fear. So yes, the first fire chief to stand up in, in King County and say, no, this is wrong. We are not doing it this way. He may lose his job. But if 20 of them, 50 of the fire chiefs around the state do it, maybe not. And if 100, and if everybody just does what's right and, and stops doing what's being pushed on them, because we, we're really, it's really leading toward, I'm not even sure if this is civil disobedience, because the very act of losing your job, they don't really have the legal right to make somebody lose their job. They should accept exemptions and they should um, you know, they shouldn't be forcing the, this vaccine at all because of how dangerous it is. But, you know, that's beside the point that everybody's medical choice should be respected and accepted. And you can safely do your jobs without the jab. You've got natural immunity. You could take ivermectin. Yes, you can take ivermectin to protect yourself and protect others. You, you know, I would rather see the mayor of Seattle mandate, although I don't believe in mandates, gargling with Listerine three times a day for every firefighter. Because studies show that gargling with Listerine kills SARS-CoV-2 viruses where they replicate in 30 seconds to one minute. If you gargle with a saline solution with iodine, it's 15 seconds. You add the nasal flush with the same mixture, 15 seconds. You do that three times a day. Studies show you're not going to have a high viral load. You're not going to be infectious to anybody. Mm. So, so I guess what I'm saying, you're so right. And um, this is how it's always been. I have been saying for years that public health and now so many entities like fire departments and police departments are being run as like arms of public health. It's run like the military. You've got the generals at the top, the CDC, who issue recommendations, which are not law, but everyone below them has to follow them. They feel like as if they're law. And if anybody challenges it and steps outside the consensus and outside the recommendation, you got to believe your career's over, right? You're labeled a troublemaker and anti-vaxxer. You're labeled anti-science and out you go. You got to play. You cannot, you'll be court-martialed basically 
It's run like the military. And that inability of local people in local public health agencies to think critically, to feel safe thinking critically and challenging what's coming down. That's what led to this entire mess. Everybody's afraid. Everybody's afraid. If I speak up, this will happen. And that's the very reason why everyone must speak out and do it now. So one last question to both of you, since you guys were told you had to take the jab, um, were you actually provided with any information regarding potential side effects, including uh, the October 22nd, 2020 FDA meeting that outlined the neurological and uh, uh, cytological uh, side effects that could occur? No, um, I'll speak first. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> the uh, oh yeah, no, the we haven't uh, received anything like that at all. Um, you know, and and even along those lines, you know, you have our coworkers thinking, oh, should I get the Johnson and Johnson? Should I let me get this one, that one, and oh, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get this one because it's only one dose, and I can do it before the deadline. And you know, God bless these people. You, you, I'll say, you, you know more about the Game of Thrones and sports ball than you do about the substance that you're putting in you, some of which are experimental gene altering, uh, uh, so, you know, a, a, a system for your body. Um, um, I'm trying to think of the, uh, the operating system for your body. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, and so uh, we have to wake up, <laughs> we have to wake up and, and, and realize the ramifications for what we're doing here. Um, and, and that's the thing is our heart, our heart breaks for those people who are getting the, this, these, uh, these jabs. Um, and, and, uh, so, so no, we, we have not received anything, uh, along those lines at all, um, other than coercion and pressure and, and, uh, and realistically, this is as, as hard as they can push us right now in our society. If they could push harder, they would. And isn't it interesting that if I was a heroin dealer, I would give you the first dose for free when I, and it would probably be the greatest high you've ever had in your life. And guess what? You're going to be in this downward spiral, and you're going to be coming to me, and now you're going to start paying. And what did we do? We 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 showed the airplanes taking off, and what a great oh the the vaccine's coming out, and everybody get the vaccine. And before we know it, I, I'm telling you, I've had three people this week, three firefighters tell me I regret my vaccination because they're seeing it now that we're at the 11th hour for us losing our jobs. They're seeing the ramifications of this, and wow. these are and and. And I'm not criticizing any firefighter. You're heroic for getting the vaccine based on what you knew. Right. You did the right thing. You might have even thought that, yeah, this is a little sketchy, but I'm going to step up and, and take care of my community. God bless you. You're heroic in my eyes. But that doesn't mean that I don't think that, that there's something drastically wrong and, and you, have, you have been snookered, for lack of a better word. And that's not even obviously a strong enough word. No. But uh, uh, this is evil, right? And Jeff, you being a, a lieutenant, uh, were you given, were you privy to any information? Were you given any special access? No, the only, the only fire department entity that I can think that has given me any form of uh, 
informed consent is on this show with us. And that's Mike Todd when we started arguing with the department about the safety. So uh, no, absolutely not. It's been a, it's been basically a, a Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson, Johnson commercial. They're safe and effective. They're safe and effective. They're safe and effective. Um, and that's from, uh, you know, our medical director and, and all kinds of other folks who are supposedly, you know, knowledgeable about this. And, you know, you show them the VAERS statistics and all of that. And it's like, oh, you know, they just, they just, just, they just, they just brush off anything you, you say. I mean, you, it's, it's been like this whole time with COVID, like there's, there's common sense and you put it in front of people and it's plain as day and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, and, and I mean, that, like, like I said, you, you think I could just say, wait a minute, nine of 11 of our last month's COVID positive we're, we're vaccinated. This isn't making sense. And you'd expect people to go, oh yeah, wait, maybe we should think about this for a second. But when we talk about the uh, VAERS numbers with them and, you know, in our discussions and debates with them, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't get any traction. You just hear the same thing over and over again. Um, and, and prior to any of this debate about the mandate, there was zero informed consent regarding the uh, regarding the vaccine. None. It's only we've only had some conversation about it because people like Mike Todd have kind of championed that cause uh, for us. We've all kind of taken our different roles and that's what he's done a really good job of. So well, what amazes me is that people uh, you can talk all you want. You can be empathic, compassionate. You can use reason and logic. But until you actually present a person with a request for an affidavit, and you threaten them with legal action, all of a sudden the game changes a bit because it's their butt on the line. And it's amazing what happens when you actually have to require responsibility of those that are above you in terms of uh, you know, administrative oversight. And I think that what you guys have been doing with this common law approach, where you're basically saying we want an affidavit response that is something that is legally binding. Yeah. And you, your butt is on the line. You defend this action. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, yeah. and that's the critical piece right there. So right now you guys are what, three days away from, um, from, from, I, I understand a little bit about the common law process. Where are you right now in terms of uh, waiting to receive information back? Well, we're, uh, we've, we've got another notice to send and, um, but it's basically telling them they're, they are in default um, because we've given them, um, ample time over and over again, extra time. And that's part of the process to remain in honor and to make sure we give them, Hey, here's a notice, you know, everything's through, you know, process service registered mail. So, you know, they've received the, 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 the complaint or the violation notice of violation, you know, and, uh, so we're kind of at the end of that paperwork process. The next would be to file in court. Um, you know, uh, that will, that too will most likely be an uphill battle. Um, and that's okay. We, you have to educate judges. Um, and I don't know where it'll end up, but, uh, um, it's the right process to go through, um, to, to do this. So, um, you know, I'm just encouraged by people stepping up. We've had people in the fire department, um, spending countless hours, um, mm -hmm. organizing this for us. So, um, it's, it's been a great process. Um, it's unfinished and we're going to send our last papers and, you know, in the next month or so, I'm sure we'll have a day in court with an ex parte hearing. Fantastic. And just uh, for full disclosure, I also filed a notice uh, with the interim department of uh, public health um, uh, here in King County in Seattle. So I'm now within three days of sending my second notice 
basically a reminder, letting them know that I have yet to receive a, an affidavit response from them. And I'll be learning from you guys about what you guys do and what's been going on in, in California and San Francisco to implement this. Uh, because uh, again, it's illegal, it's wrong, and we, we, we have to stand up to fight against this. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's, it's taken, you know, almost two years for Americans to figure out how to be Americans, huh? You know, we, we've been really lucky and shielded from a lot, of, a lot of things in this country, just shrugging them off, take it for granted that we've got freedom. And, you know, we've never had to figure out how the system works. And, you know, most of us didn't even know the names of our legislators or, you know, the people who impact or the people on the school board. There's just so much about how this country works that we took for granted and we're not involved in. And I, I know that we're going to emerge from this a stronger, freer nation than we have ever been with a cultural memory of how easy it is to have um, our freedom stolen under the guise of public health, under the guise of infectious disease. Um, and as I've, I've said a couple of times in a couple of different venues, you know, how do you get a freedom loving, moral, kind to your neighbor society, which is the United States of America. How do you get them to willingly hand over their freedom? You convince them that their very breath is poisonous, even when they feel perfectly fine. You know, and you convince them that their natural immune system is not good enough. You convince them that natural immunity will never protect them as well as something that can be injected in them, which is you know, an absolute lie, but that's what has happened. And, and you know, this has been in the works for decades. It has, um, public health crises have been used before in order to try to control society and capture control. Um, but never globally like this, never so systemically. But, you know, we've got giant players in here now. We've got the billionaire, billionaires of the world who have gotten together to work as one um, to make sure that all angles, financial and everything, are all there to push it upon us. But we're waking up and we're figuring it out and we're stepping up and one by one, you know, we're going to make this happen. I just want to say a couple things real quick that you guys um, made me remember, you know, as they're saying it's safe and effective, all this. And yeah, the, the Pfizer one's even licensed to now. They're still in phase three clinical trials. Those don't end for a year or two. So it's, you know, what about the long-term safety? I would love to ask every single uh, person pushing this. And they got rid of the control group because they unblinded so we got nothing to compare it against. It's people like me and, you know, and Javier and you guys, you're the control group now because we're saying no. And, and another thing that I think is a good way, if anybody's trying to figure out how do you open the minds of friends and loved ones who just have a hard time distrusting public health. Because it's people they know, it's their neighbors working in these positions and everything. And it's like, they wouldn't lie to us. The information coming down from the top is false. The people pushing it, a lot of them are good people who are just listening to the wrong sources. But here's an example of what you can use to maybe open some minds. So the King County um, and our Washington State Public Health uh, Departments have been doing 
vaccination campaigns and having HPV vaccine, flu vaccine, and COVID shots all available for free at single locations. And you can get one, two, or all three at once. There have been zero co-administration safety studies, zero. And they're saying it's perfectly fine to get. Now I ask you, and I would, you know, ask the people who, you know, say that you were wrong or that we are wrong, how can we be called anti-science when they are telling you to get three products that they're safe to give together in the absence of zero safety studies? So um, yeah, it's 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 just it's mind-boggling what is happening, but more and more people every day are, are waking up to this. And I'm glad that you guys found this method. I pray it is successful. And, um, and that everybody's methods are successful. It's gonna, one of these things is gonna hit the jackpot and it's all gonna start crumbling. I have faith, I'm a Pollyanna, can you tell? <laughs> so one of the things that we would love to hear back is uh, when, I don't think it's gonna be an if, but when you go in front of a judge to get this uh, fully executed uh, against the uh, fire chief, against the human resources director, against the mayor. Uh, will, you, will you guys be willing to come and uh, give us an accounting or at least let us know uh, how things are going, if, if you're allowed to under the, uh, under the common law uh, guidelines that are in place? Right, I, I think you, um, well, my answer to your question is absolutely. And I think you bring up a good point with the common law. It's my understanding that a lot of times there are non-disclosure agreements. Uh, and so we don't hear about the victories out there with common law right. because, uh, you know, there, for lack of a better word, there might be a gag order attached to the, the judgment. I'm kind of speaking out of, out of my um, I, I, I area of expertise for sure. Right. Uh, and, you know, um, piggybacking too on um, uh, Bernadette's comments, um, you know, if, if this whole thing were a, if, if I was a junior in high school and I handed this whole thing in as a, a science report to my biology or chemistry teacher, I, I get a D minus, like, you know, the, it, like the lack of follow through and scientific method and hanging the, the entirety on straw men and slogans and safe and effective. And it, you know, you'd give me credit for my name and putting a paper together and that would be about it. Uh, this is, I, I've never been part of something so obviously wrong and been so confident I'm on the right side, but yet uh, you look at the, 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 the media tsunami of, of lies and uh, it, it, we just, all you can do is stand on the hill and look down and just shake your head at this point. Very true. Jeff, any, any last parting words before we close out the hour? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll close with this. In, in my experience as an uh, emergency medical uh, worker, uh, which is like a lot of what we do, it's most of what we do. Um, I can tell you in you know, a year and a half or pushing two years of, uh, of this, um, this pandemic, you know, I can, I can count on less than one hand the number of, well, not even that, I, I think one or two maybe, uh, people in that amount of time that were like, I, I'm COVID positive and I need to go to the hospital. And, and most of them were not that distressed and, and not that there aren't people who are, I know there are people who are, but my experience has been that in a few months of the vaccine, um, I can give you, um, you know, at least five stories of, uh, obviously I can't share patient information. I would sure. never do that, but uh, um, of, of things that 
people having catastrophic, you know, heart attacks with no medical history within uh, uh, within uh, days of the vaccine, and then seeing that same person five days later for another heart attack. They were on zero medications, um, strokes, seizure disorders, um, inability to walk uh, properly, loss of coordination and balance, neurological disorders. Um, I can give you a lot of stories. Um, and the vaccine's been around a lot shorter amount of time than, than COVID has. So, um, and the stories are, are multiplying. You have to look under the hood a little bit. A lot of people don't even ask, but I ask because it's part yeah. of the medical uh, medical questions. Well, and that's, and that's the right approach to always take with any new medication or treatment. Uh, just so people are informed, uh, Pfizer reported on their uh, safety and efficacy by looking at uh, two groups, their treatment group and their placebo group. Eight out of 22,000 in their, in their treatment group got COVID. 162 out of the placebo group got COVID. The difference between eight and 162 is roughly 95%. But what this means is that less than 1% from each group contracted COVID to the point where they had symptoms. So that means that this was a virus that was affecting less than 1% of the entire treatment group. So instead of having an absolute risk ratio for the Pfizer vaccine, they use a relative risk ratio, which is 95%. The absolute risk ratio, the protection that, that this is supposed to provide is less than 1%. And that is scientifically verified. This is not a conspiracy. This is the correct way of reporting vaccine efficacy, not science by press release. Mm -hmm. So that is... That is, again, guys, thank you so much. Thank you for standing up. Thank you for showing us how it's done, how to live in a free society and take care of our fellows. Uh, and the road is rough. The road is not easy, but uh, it's the right thing to do. Thank you for having us. It's a privilege. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Welcome to the second hour of an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. And in the house with me is Dr. Javier Figueroa, PhD. And we've got an amazing guest today, Christina Parks, also PhD, who will be bringing on in just a second. Our first hour, we had two brave firemen standing up, speaking out, taking action against the mandates which are now threatening the health and safety of uh, citizens of King County because um, they may be losing their jobs. Many people may be losing their jobs because they are saying no to getting an injection that does not stop infection or transmission. Um, and there's obviously so much more to that. At the end of that hour, one of the firefighters um, gave us a, a few, like one minute reveal of things he has seen. Um, we're going to have to have him and others back on because he mentioned, you know, calls that he gets. And it's an individual recently within a couple of days of getting in an injection who's having a heart attack, having neurological issues. Um, and he's seeing it over and over again. Um, and we've heard that from many more. So I think we're gonna have to have a show dedicated to first line responders who are seeing firsthand the adverse reactions happening to these um, injections. But let's go ahead and bring on um, our guest today. Some of you might've been hearing about her. her name is Christina Parks. She is a PhD scientist researcher, and she's been given some public testimony uh, lately before some uh, legislative bodies. And for that, anytime you're critical of public health policy and vaccines in particular, you get famous or rather infamous, I should say. So Christina, welcome to An Informed Life Radio. Thank you for having me on. So, you know, I, I know nobody enters this conversation because they want to be attacked and they want to be infamous and have their name in the news. But, you know, sometime, you know, your best self just says, I have to do this. You know, it's bigger than me. Yeah. So could you tell listeners, please, a little bit about yourself that start like with your education and um Sure, I got my PhD in 1999 from the University of Michigan in cellular and molecular biology. I have a double major as an undergrad in biochemistry and molecular biology. 
And um, my graduate work was in cytokine signaling. Since cytokines are the molecules your immune systems need to uh, use to signal, it's relevant to the discussion of both COVID and the vaccines, how the immune system function. And when your immune system goes wrong, it's almost always cytokines that are involved. And so that's kind of how I got into vaccine injury. You know, um, you know, when I was in graduate school, there wasn't this vaccines are safe and effective. It was what's the cost benefit. And there was an understanding that we didn't really, I mean, we were still defining what cytokines signal. We didn't even know. So how can we know when injecting what someone is going to do? And so there was this idea that the, the disease needed to be su sufficiently severe to warrant um, you know, taking a chance, injecting something that we weren't totally sure what it was going to do. But then I started to see these changes that I couldn't explain, like them putting um, chickenpox on the childhood schedule. And it just didn't seem severe enough to warrant taking that chance. I saw them start to push the vaccines under the age of two, where when I was a kid, I got, I remember getting it. So I was like three or four when I got my MMR and my DTP. And so I started to see things that didn't make sense. And then I heard the autism and this, as a scientist, you're really precise with your language, right? And so they were very precise and they would say things like, um, we have seen no evidence. And I'm like, so that means they chose not to look, right? And so the, the language that they used for messaging told me that they were trying to um, you know, mask this issue. And, and I didn't believe them because they, they weren't being forthright. And I thought, you know, there's something going on here, right? They don't want to look. And I thought there was plausible mechanisms that, you know, these, these activate the immune system. What if they overactivate it? You know, so there could be things going on. So even way back then, I thought, yeah, there's likely plausible mechanism. And as things went on and they got more and more entrenched in the stance that there's no plausible mechanism, nothing could possibly be happening here. It just got more and more disturbing um, that we weren't following the science. And I didn't realize until just a few years ago that the manufacturers didn't have liability. And of course, um, that explained a lot that in 1986, um, Congress indemnified vaccine manufacturers for every vaccine that's on the childhood schedule. And then um, it all started to make sense because it was clearly more about money than science. Yeah, exactly. And and um, you make me think of two things. One, several years ago, it was discovered that the lymphatic system is directly connected to the brain. Before that, they didn't think that it crossed the blood-brain barrier. So they really felt that a lot of things circulating in the body wasn't getting into the brain. And then they discovered, oops, there is direct, you know, connection, hard connection. And I think it was the University of Virginia ran with the headlines is we have to rewrite all the textbooks. Well, that hasn't happened. But what impacts the lymphatic system directly? Well, injection, vaccination, you know, and, and here we have this absurd notion that you can get multiple vaccines at one time if you simply do them in different limbs as if we're Barbie dolls. Okay, if I put it in this limb, this set of lymph nodes will handle it if I do a, a shot over here, as if everything doesn't eventually circulate throughout the entire body, right? And it just, it's so absurd to me. Yeah, and, and science, so brilliant scientists have been coming up with mechanisms of injury for, for many things. And then we have learned a lot through like the gut biome discoveries and that lymphatic discovery, 
that a lot of neurological disorders that we were thought were disconnected from the body or the immune system are actually directly impacted or kind of function. You can, I'm not a scientist, so you can say it better, but you know, what affects the um, immune system also impacts the neurological system. Would you agree with that from the current science that's been discovered? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because I mean, you know, one of the most dangerous things is, is inflammation. And so we're inflaming the immune system to get a response to the antigen, right? The thing is like when you, most people don't realize when you inject an antigen, so like part of a virus or part of a bacteria, a lot of times the immune system is just going to ignore it. Otherwise we'd be hyper um, reactive to everything. And so they have to amp it up. So they put things like aluminum in there. And, and then we're told that aluminum is safe but then sometimes it's not safe and don't use it in your deodorant, but it's okay to inject. And so it becomes this like, what? And so this is where like a lot of times um, you'll see scientists talk and even some of the World Health Organization people. And when you listen to them, um, if they're behind closed doors or if they're doing their science or they, they do a paper, they admit much of this stuff. But when push comes to shove and they have a vote, they're going to rubber stamp vaccines and because I think there's so much money, nobody wants to put their career at risk. Nobody wants to be the one to stand up and say no in isolation. And so um, the question, you know, a lot of people are like, do these scientists know? Yes, yes, they know. Um, yes, they know that aluminum is a bad idea and they're just hoping it's not as bad. And many, I think, haven't done a deep enough dive and they think, well, I'm, I'm doing this part and yeah, there's some really questionable stuff happening here, but I'm sure the rest of it is fine. I'm sure all those other vaccines are fine, right? And so this is the only one that has a few little quirks with it. And so, but um, if they look, they would find that that's not true. And so we know now that when you inject aluminum, certain types, the smaller, the more reactive, that your immune system's never seen this. It doesn't know what it is. Maybe it thinks it's a bacteria. So it takes it in and then goes, carries it around with it everywhere. And um, if the brain is on fire or starts to get inflamed because of other ingredients in the bacteria, those immune cells are called to the brain and they bring their cargo of aluminum with them. They go through the lymph nodes and you know maybe to the spleen, but they go to the brain and wherever they go, they inflame the immune system. And so they cause all this cytokine signaling. You may have heard the term cytokine storm um, from COVID. This is a similar thing. It can be very acute where you have acute encephalitis or it could be chronic where you just have sort of a chronic inflammation of the brain tissue. What many people don't realize is really, really important for infants and young toddlers for that brain development to be during a time when there's no inflammation. We want to, the whole body works to keep inflammation down. And there's many, many different ways that it does that. And so there's no way that we should ever be trying to inflame the system prior to two or three years old. Um, you're really going to affect brain development. And so the idea that something that's caused, you know, one of the key markers of autism is inflammation and cytokines, these cytokines like IL-6. And so this idea that the vaccination that activates these cytokines has nothing to do with autism is just, it's ridiculous, quite frankly, on its face. And so the data now show there's been several groups that have come out and said, hey, this aluminum is inflammatory and it's causing problems and it's causing the cytokine signaling. And this, um, we see these chronic cytokines because the aluminum doesn't get taken out of the brain. It stays there and continues to cause this chronic inflammation. 
And so, um, you know, we've had aluminum experts step up and say this, and they've been absolutely ignored as if it never happened, as if their studies were never done. Yeah, and even worse now, um, instead of being ignored, they're being fired, kicked out of their departments, losing funding. Um, like we've got the brilliant Dr. Christopher Exley, who for 30 years is a leading world expert on aluminum toxicity in water, in food, in the environment, everywhere. And he was so highly respected. And then he began to address other sources of aluminum specifically injected. And it's just like you said, when he examined the brains of um, individuals who had passed away and who had autism, he found what you're calling that cargo of aluminum in brain cells. And the only mechanism he could think of in which it could get into the brain in the manner it was being seen is through the injection process. It was the only thing that made sense to him. Um, and yeah, so, wow, there's just, there's just so much here. So, right. and I know, mean, you know, but to, to, you know, to expound on that, then Romain Girardi's lab went further and did animal studies and actually showed the aluminum traveling to the brain. So, I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, just theoretical. Of course, they didn't show it in humans. We don't dissect humans. Um, but that's pretty strong um, evidence that, that this is what's happening. And, you know, the thing is like for years, they've used um, aluminum to uh, create mouse models of autoimmunity. But we don't like make the connection that we're injecting all this aluminum into our kids. And then like, I didn't know that one version of DTAP has like 300 milligrams of aluminum and another has like 650 or some have even 800 if it's the, you know, um, one that has five different uh, vaccines in it. And like, uh, I don't think parents know. And so they might be like, well, my kids got the shots and they're fine. Well, did you get the one, you know, maybe you got three shots and yours all had the minimum amount of aluminum and maybe somebody else's kid got the maximum. And, you know, there's epigenetic diversity. And so there's a lot going on here, but um, it's, uh, I, I thought at the beginning when I started to sort of speak out and look into this, that if we just told people, they would listen. I was very naive, uh, thinking that people cared, talking to our elected officials. And um, the people that I talked to blanch and they get really disturbed. And I imagine that they weren't running out to, uh, you know, vaccinate their kids without doing um, some study on what's going on here. But at the base level, nothing ever happened. And I have to assume that's because there's a lot of money coming into the system. You know, as many people know um you know um that uh senior scientists senior cdc scientists william thompson came forward and said hey congress told us to do this uh study to say that mmr doesn't cause autism and we did you know kids that were vaccinated on time and kids that were vaccinated late we thought we wouldn't find anything but we actually found that in black boys who were vaccinated on time they had significantly higher risk of autism and we shredded the data, oops. And so when he came forward and said this, um, Representative Bill Posey got all of the data from the CDC and called for congressional investigations. That was in 2012, we are now in 2021. And the average American walking on the streets has no idea, you know, when the, they came out with the study where they had shredded the part of the data and said that the, the MMR doesn't cause autism, they shouted it from the rooftops, it was on every, um, TV show and news show that you could get on. But when they came out saying we lied and we lied to the American public, there was not a peep. 
and most people have no idea. Yeah, and if this is new to any of our listeners out there, you can see the documentary film Baxed, B-A-X-X-E-D, from Catastrophe to Cover-Up. To learn about this, a documentary film about the whistleblower, uh, Dr. William Thompson. And several years ago, I traveled um, with several people from the Washington state area to join others from around the country outside of the CDC in Atlanta. And we picketed calling for the subpoena of Dr. William Thompson. And I, I repeatedly asked my Congresswoman um, in Washington state to, um, to call for a congressional investigation to subpoena. And I kept getting back form letters saying vaccines are safe and effective, blah, blah, blah. It was nonsense. And so I finally uh, took a, screen, uh, a photo of one of these ridiculous letters and I uploaded it to, um, to uh, Twitter. And I tagged her and said, I don't want any more of these form letters. Answer, you know, please subpoena William Thompson, something like that. Well, I had called her office so many times. My phone rang. I was like, it, I was at my son's gym and my cell phone rings and it was her office. They must have me on this like speed dial. And it was her assistant. And, and I, he said, we have an answer for you, but you're not going to like it. I said, really? He says, yeah, we looked into it and there's nothing there. I said, well, what do you mean you looked into it? We looked into it and there's nothing there. I said, well, Congressman Posey has thousands of documents from William Thompson that shows that fraud was committed. Are you telling me you and, and Congresswoman Susan Delbeni of the first congressional district in Washington state that you have examined these and you didn't see, any, see anything untoward there, nothing to follow through on? And his reply was, we looked into it and there's nothing there. That's all that he would answer. That's all he was authorized to answer. They're not gonna to touch it with a, a 10 foot pole. And I wanna uh, comment on one other thing that you had said is that when you talk to other scientists and everything, people know, they know everybody, it's just like what's going on with COVID with the mandates and everything. People in the know and people with certain amounts of power who could be standing up and saying, this is wrong, they're afraid for their jobs. They're afraid for their careers. They're afraid, fear, 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 fear. So this fear of speaking up is so systemic in the scientific community. And now it's systemic in the, the average population about speaking up because of what's been labeled. But this Christina is exactly, I'm, I'm sorry, I apologize for calling your first name. I, I feel like I've known you for a while and I, Dr. Parks, um, that, um, this is exactly why everybody needs to stand up because fear is all they have. We have truth, they have fear. And if everybody just, you know, we got to do it together. So I applaud you entering this, this, uh, this ring and, and, you know, proudly wear the mask, not the mask, no, the badge of whatever they throw at you because you're joining some pretty brave, amazing people that I consider my heroes. Javier, I'm talking uh, a mile a minute here. I, I'm sure you've got a ton of questions for um, Dr. Parks. Well, I, I really want to find out more about what, what got you to present it at the, in front of the Michigan legislature. Uh, you know, that, that went viral. And I just want to, want, want to understand what sort of led up to you taking what is an extraordinary step for most uh, 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 PhDs to get up and do something that public. 
Well, I'm in a really good position because I am not working for the federal government. I no longer am working as a research scientist. And so I don't have to worry about having my research funding um, cut. And the other thing is I've, you know, you know, I don't really have like a horse in this race. I don't have a vaccine injured child. I don't have vaccine injured family members. And so I didn't come at this um, with a grudge or a chip on my shoulder. I came purely from looking at the science and purely from looking and saying, there's something here. And then following a little bit of that trail, which led to another trail, which led to another trail. I've been studying this nonstop for four years. And unfortunately it only gets worse and worse and worse the deeper you get into it. And so I'm very confident that I know the science that what I'm saying is true. And so where I think a lot of people, especially lay people, they hem and haw because, um, and a lot of scientists, what people don't realize, when you're in science, you're only focused on your little tiny problem. And so you assume that whatever the media says or whatever, that those people are doing over there is fine, right? You know that you have some integrity and so you assume that they have integrity. And so you think, you know, I know I'm doing my job good. I'm sure they're doing their job. I have no reason to doubt that. And so it's hard for a scientist to believe that there's as much duplicity going on in this particular area as there is until they actually sit down and start looking at the data. And most scientists have not. Um, the only thing that might, you know, have them do that is if they have kids and they start thinking, well, what about this? And then if they start down that trail, um, you know, they might not come back, but if they have started on that trail, then they have to ask themselves, do I want to speak out and lose my position? Um, and in the past, I can see where there was a, maybe a little bit more of a attention, but right now when they're about to vaccinate our kids with these gene therapy COVID vaccines, um, it's time to stand up. And I think Dr. Chris actually said, he's like, you know, I know, um, you know, when push comes to shove, there's a time to put your head on the chopping block and it's probably going to be lopped off. And he said that time is now. And so he stood forward and was probably defunded, um, you know, a leading world expert defunded. And so um, that was the cost of, of it, it's okay if you do the science, as long as you don't speak out, as long as you don't have a press conference, as long as you don't make videos. So fortunately, I don't have that tension. So I feel very free to speak out and I'm not really worried about um, people taking me down. I was talking to my son and I said, at the end of the day, you have to have peace with who you are. And so a lot of these people are fearful of, um, of speaking out and losing their job. I'm fearful of the kind of person I would be if I didn't speak out and that I couldn't live with myself. Yeah, I so admire that. Thank you. Yeah, that's ultimately what it is. Everybody has to figure out what they can live with and, and look at the big picture. And so, you know, the problems pre-COVID were that vaccines dominated infectious disease to the detriment of treatments, right? To the detriment of parents understanding how, and, and even doctors, how to properly treat infection to safely nurture children through common infections to develop lifelong natural immunity. The whole narrative be, became that any infection in, that they target a vaccine at is terrifying and lethal and there's nothing you can do about it. And so you have to get vaccinated. So there, there's that whole narrative. 
And I just want to go on the record right here with in these conversations that as critical as we are about current vaccine products and their design and their harm in the immediate and long term, we do not want any individual to suffer or die from infectious disease. You know, speaking for myself, and I'm sure Javier here too, is we fully support healthy immunity understanding how to keep yourself healthy so if you um, are infected that you can safely navigate it having a good trusted healthcare practitioner as your partner to help you get through who knows treatments whatever your healthcare approach is vaccines are one highly profitable um, completely shielded tool that an individual individual in a free society could choose but that's not how this whole world of infection is being presented. And then we enter COVID. And it is very clear now that what is wanted is pre-cradle to grave dependence upon injection and boost, boost, boost. Nobody being able to rely upon natural immunity or, or alternatives to that whole injection system. They chose to do it with it, what is what I would say, and I'd love to know your opinion here, uh, Dr. Parks, the most dangerous product ever injected in humans as far as um, in, in the name of public health. Until now, it looked like the HPV vaccine Gardasil with its AAH adjuvant and so much harm coming um, from those injections was probably leading the way. It was leading the way in VAERS, the vaccine adverse event reporting system. But now these COVID shots have just obliterated. I mean, HPV vaccines look safe compared <laughs> to what we're seeing yeah. here. So yeah. I, I'm gonna be quiet and let you talk about these shots. Yeah, it's jaw dropping. And even the idea of this cradle to grave vaccination, it's like, you have to wonder, has anybody stopped and looked at the big picture and looked at, you know, can the human body even tolerate this? Like they, you know, it, it's like someone coming up with something in a vacuum in theory, it's great, but like all you have to do is start looking at the data and going, this is not gonna work. Uh, this is a bad business model because everybody's gonna start dying <laughs> eventually if you get enough boosters in your system every year or whatever. Um, but yeah, and, and the COVID vaccines that they would have the arrogance and the hubris to basically do a, an experimental gene therapy on the entire population is is absolutely stunning. Um, and I don't think many people understand how many ethical and scientific problems there are with using this type of therapy for um, for vaccines. And you, you have to remember there's a huge difference between taking someone who say has like muscular dystrophy and has almost no quality of life. And when they ask them, are you willing to risk all of these different, you know, lack of fertility, you know, possible adverse events, paralysis, are you willing to risk that in order to get gene therapy? They say yes, because their quality of life is so low, they'll try anything. But what we're saying is you're perfectly healthy and you have no problems. Are you gonna risk all these adverse events to have a vaccine that basically doesn't even stop transmission and everybody seems to still be getting sick, as sick as if you didn't have it? It, that's just blatant stupidity. And, you know, when you're a traditional vaccine, you inject a little bit, you know, there's many different kinds, but you inject a little bit of the protein and antigen and your body responds to it. And this we're injecting genetic material to make a virus 
um, a protein from the virus. And it goes into many, many, many of your different cell types, including your ovaries and your spleen. It makes a ton of this spike protein, which is what caused all the bad symptoms of the disease. But what's more problematic is when you get that genetic material into the cells, it could be doing other things. Um, people don't realize how complex our genetics are, that small parts of RNA actually go into your nucleus and bind to certain genes and shut them off. What if unintentionally small parts of this RNA that we're putting in there go and silence genes? What if they silence genes that keep you from getting cancer? What if they silence genes that you need to grow or to make hormones for fertility? And so, um, especially like the J and J, the J and J is like sort of like a cassette system. They can in insert several different genes and they can put regulatory regions ahead of those genes such that they could put that in your cells and then they could spray with something or you could eat something and it will turn on the transcription of those genes. They're sort of like making you into a little factory for whatever they want. And again, the, you know, Someone said, well, you know, somebody's tissues were glowing in response to the J and J. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not saying whether it is, but I said, well, yeah, they probably used luciferase or green fluorescent protein as a marker when they did it in animal studies so that they could see where it was going. But because I said it's cassette, so they would have the spike, they would have this luciferase or green fluorescent protein, they might have something else. They might have something that acted as an adjuvant and all of it's transcribed. But I said, oh, please tell me that they took out the green, green fluorescent protein because we don't need that. And again, anything extra you're adding could have unintended consequences. And so they're really, um, to me, they're sort of playing God. They have no idea what the unintended consequences of many of these things are because every year, um, you know, when I got out of science, it was at a certain level. And then I've, I've, now that PubMed is online, I do a lot of research, the basic of looking at the basic science. And now we've got little RNAs that silence genes that we have post-transcriptional modification. We have tons of things that are coming along that we didn't even know about 20 years. What is going on with this that's creating, that could potentially create some problems that we won't know about for 15 years that because we haven't, our science hasn't progressed that far. So to me, it's a huge amount of arrogance to um, basically put genetic information on there. We don't know how it's regulated and how it's going to impact the cell, injecting into cells and just saying, yeah, that's safe, it's, it's fine. Yeah, and that, you know, they, they dare call us unscientific when you've got all these mouthpieces in, in public health and different entities saying, oh, they're safe and effective in the absence of long-term studies, not phase three studies not completed. No, they're, they're saying, go out and get it with the flu vaccine. You know, no co-administration studies, nothing. It's just, it's, it's exactly like you said. It's, it's so absolutely absurd and the arrogance. Um, I don't know, you know, it, I'm, sometimes I'm just so baffled how people are not thinking critically. I know that a lot of people are swimming in the propaganda coming from the captured um, regular media, legacy media. And thank goodness we still have free radio. We still have freedom of speech on AM radio and some FM radio channels. You know, I'm currently in Kansas and driving across the country. I just kept, as, as one radio station faded out, I just searched the dial, both AM and FM until I heard people talking. And I was finding the most amazing radio shows all across this nation with people who, you know, they're, they know the science, they know the politics. It was just 
phenomenal. It's like Informed Twist Washington and Informed Life Radio. We're not alone. It's fantastic. So yeah, I would just did an interview um, with some African American gentleman out of Minneapolis, and so that was a wonderful surprise. And um, you know, their view of things that have happened has come 180 with just in the last several years. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people are waking up to the corruption that's yeah. in our government. Unfortunately, a lot of people still don't want to believe that things could be that bad. And I think for some of us, when we see so when you start, you know, you come forward and say, yes, I'm willing to speak out about this. Of course, a lot of people in the vaccine injury community ask me to speak. And so then you meet these people like the McDowell triplets where all three regressed into autism within 24 hours after a contaminated vaccine, just one. Mm -hmm. And so obviously that vaccine was bad. It wasn't a typical vaccine, but they were never compensated. They were never, it was never reported properly. And so when you see the injury that has been done, it is so devastating. Um, you can no longer, you can no longer remain silent and let our children become the collateral damage for, um, you know, I don't know if this is just, you know, uh, a business model of making uh, money off of our children's health and demise. Yeah, and everything is, is being set up. Um, I attend all the Board of Health and Department of Health meetings in Washington State, and, and I will continue to do so, even though I'm going to be in Tennessee, I'll be also attending theirs as soon as I get myself set up there to follow along. I, I'm hoping Tennessee is different than the health departments in the state of Washington, because in the state of Washington, they have been putting the cart before the horse this entire time. They have been setting up, you attend their meetings and they're setting up all these systems of, of acquiring and distributing products before approval, before EUA approval, as if they know for, oh yeah, we're just waiting for approval. Not, we hope, you know, you, there was no doubt it was gonna happen. And, and the last meeting yesterday, same thing. Oh yeah, it's gonna be a, approved for children. Yeah, okay, so we'll do this and that. And in fact, several months ago, a parent sent us a form that came from the state, from the Department of Health. And on it, it's like the, the vaccine immunization form. And there's a special section for vaccines that are not required for school, but are recommended. And it already had Oh, actually, I think it's more than a year ago, the COVID shot on that. And, you know, because they're expecting it, they're putting it all, you know, they're spending all because this time. They know it's money. a business model and they know something that has that much money behind it is not going to be allowed to fail yeah. on that level, no matter how many people. I mean, the fact that there's over 15,000 reported deaths in America and our territories, and we're just like, eh, nothing to see here. I mean, 15,000, it, it just, it boggles my mind. This is a Holocaust. You know, yeah. especially since we know that there are probably many more that were not reported yeah. and now children are dying. They're getting myocarditis and suddenly myocarditis is not a problem. Now, if, you know, if the flu was causing myocarditis, you know, they'd be flushing the flu shot because they said you don't want to get myocarditis from the flu, right. you know. So, uh, yeah. And I think, you know, going back to your point about um, parents uh, um, who um don't understand how to get their children through these uh, childhood you know, infections. I think that that is one of the biggest stumbling blocks that we have because there's been so much messaging about vaccines are safe and effective. You need this, you need this, you need this. In fact, after I'd done a bunch of research on vaccines and I was starting to question the efficacy of some of them long-term, 
and things like that. And I went in for a doctor's appointment. They're like, oh, you're overdue on your tennis booster. Okay. They injected my arm. I walked out and I said, why did I do that? Like, I just, you know, I just did research and I'm intellectually convinced that it's not necessary or beneficial to me at this point, but I like just, you know, and so it helps you to have compassion for other people that, yeah. you know, <laughs> we've had this messaging over and over again. Now I was much more protective of my daughter because she was in, um, you know, she was, uh, you know, 15, not even 15 weeks post major brain surgery. And they wanted to give her all of her vaccines. I said, absolutely not. And they said, well, at least the, the DTaP. And I said, I understand pertussis can be a problem. And, um, but, you know, do you, can you get pertussis alone? And she said, no, you have to get all of them. And um, at that time, I didn't know as much as I did now, but I said, no, because I think it can cause brain swelling. And she's got enough problems. Her brain's already swollen. It's going to be swollen for two years. Um, any other, and you know, the doctor who is a really a lovely person pressured me and pressured me. Any other uh, parent would have caved and they said, you know, she's probably not going to die if she gets it. She gets pertussis because she's seven months old. Um, but, you know, it'll be the worst three weeks of your life. And I said, yes, but it'll only be three weeks. Yeah. Um, you know, I said, she's got enough problems um, without, without doing this. And I said, I'm, you know, I'm keeping her home. But, and, and so I see a lot of parents that don't trust themselves, don't trust their ability to uh, manage these infections because they've been messaged over and over again that, and then they're made, made to feel like a bad parent. Honestly, I think there's some parents that would rather have their child get injured from a vaccine than be blamed from them suffering from an infection. Yeah. Because yeah. So it's about like the blame, you know, as long as I'm not to blame, you know, right. as long as I'm viewed as right. a good parent, um, and so I think that we really, and that's where the censorship is so key, because if they censor information that can help parents understand uh, that their children, one, aren't as fragile as they think they are, mm -hmm. and um, if they're not vaccinated, and then how many people do you know, I have a relative who, um, whose baby at two to four months could not get out of the hospital, in and out of the hospital, like a rotating door, and, uh, and I finally said, are you nursing? you know, take some vitamin D supplements, take some vitamin C supplements, all this inflammation has depleted your baby's body. Mm -hmm. And she did. And the child came out of the hospital and never went back in. She was just completely depleted and with respiratory infection after respiratory infection. And so how do they not see that, um, like just everybody that they're okay with their kid being sick all the time when they're being vaccinated, but if they're unvaccinated, they're absolutely paranoid that they're going to get sick, even right. though many unvaccinated children are, are completely very robustly healthy, you know, so um, it's very hard to go against the messaging, especially in young people. Mm -hmm. um, those of us who are a little bit older remember before all the vaccines were normal, mm -hmm. right? And we remember like everybody being healthy. Nobody had like huge amounts of allergies growing up. There, nobody oh. had autism. No, right. I was born in 63. And so going to school in the late 60s, early 70s into the early 80s there, I knew nobody with an EpiPen. In fact, for most of my uh, childhood, EpiPens did not exist. Why didn't they not exist? Epinephrine existed. But this auto injector thing that's very handy for children to carry around, that did not exist. Why? There was no market for it. Because it was anaphylactic allergies in children was so rare. Now they say that there are two children who need an EpiPen in every classroom in the United States today. It's, it's 
the, right. the epidemic is so big. I, I didn't know kids with any of these, these issues, you might've had somebody who had hay fever, right? That was about it. Yeah, I had a classroom of five students at a homeschool co-op. Turned out two of the boys had pox, um, which is sort of an autonomic disorder that I won't get into, but it, and the one boy said he was in bed for a year. He couldn't sit up. Wow. Um, you know, I didn't ask if it was a vaccine injury, but the point being, and then another had autism. So we have three very unhealthy children. And then I'm not sure about the other two because I didn't, I didn't even ask for this information. I didn't solicit it. They started talking about it to me. And in fact, when I confused the two boys because one mom had told me they had pots and one boy had told me they had pots and I couldn't imagine that like, you know, two separate people in the same classroom have this disorder. And so um, it's in like the food allergies, you cannot have a party without having your, you know, gluten-free this and no cheese and no eggs and you know, and the thing is, it's like they go off of these foods just to develop allergies to these other foods. And again, going back to the aluminum, we know that a way to induce an autoimmune response or an autoimmune condition is to give aluminum. Is to give it through injection. It's, it's yeah. almost uniquely um, through the process of injection. So exactly it. Yeah. It just boggles the mind that we're still that we're still doing this and that we're willing to do this to our children that people are so unwilling to wake up but i think uh, the good news i'm you know horrified at how many people may have been injured by these vaccines uh, or gene therapy injections whatever you want to call them um but on the other hand i think a lot of people are waking up and many people who were not open to hearing what's going on with the childhood schedule are now open to to start hearing the science and that's you know what you know motivated me to go give that um speech because actually sue aller um who asked me to do the um, expert testimony had brought this up before because you know our medical workers had mandated flu shots and then you had to wear the little dunce cap the little mask right to say i didn't do what i was supposed to and they know it doesn't prevent transmission and so, um, you know, it's not just about COVID, it's about none of the, you know, the DTaP and the flu vaccine don't prevent transmission, as most vaccines do not prevent transmission. And so it's just about being honest about the science. I'm so sick of um, the big bad wolf messaging that we get with the DTaP that grandma, first of all, grandma's immune, grandma's immune to pertussis, she's 70, she's had it. All right, let's just be honest, right? <laughs> right. But, it, you know, but the idea that, you know, if she weren't immune, that like if she gets a DTAP, what's it going to do? It's going to prevent her from having symptoms. It's not going to prevent her from getting the bacteria. It's not going to prevent it from spreading it. All the scientists who worked on the vaccine know that. But yet we're going to lie and misrepresent it and pretend that everybody needs this vaccine. And um, I just I don't it's hard to know how to even approach those who are so wrapped up in this mindset that they seem can't seem to get out of it. Right. So that's for, for how about we move for the, the, the last, you know, like 10 minutes or 11 minutes or so that we have here. Let's talk about some solutions. So number one solution that you just were kind of um, reminded me of, we have got to stop pharmaceutical companies from being able to advertise to the public. So let's get rid of advertising pharmaceuticals because those are just lies. They make people numb 
to adverse reaction spiels. It's a joke now what it could cause. And it has a psychological um, effect of making you think, oh, they just have to say that. It, you know, people ignore inserts. People will pop anything, get anything. They think, eh, they're not going to read the small print. So let's get rid of ads. What else solution um, do you see out there that, that we can do? Well, the easiest ones is you just make the manufacturers liable because then you can sue them and you can get discovery and you can find out what's really going on with the vaccine. Um, we've got to make them liable. And so we've got to keep pushing for that. And I'm hoping that a one silver lining out of all of this death and destruction from the COVID vaccines is that people will push for liability when they realize they or their loved one have been injured and nobody is responsible, that they will push to make them liable. And, and the other one I, I sort of kind of talked about is, um, you know, and this is on the personal level that we have to reach out and, um, and give both of our knowledge of, of just that, that people are healthy without vaccines, right? Explaining to them that they're not as needed as they think that they are. And um, other ways to treat these childhood infections so that uh, parents have to be confident in their ability to parent. And um, we have made it so that they aren't confident. If they can't vaccinate, they feel like something bad is gonna happen. And so we have to give them the information and the tools that they need to feel comfortable with making a different decision. Because many of them are uncomfortable with vaccinating, but they're also afraid of the alternative. Yeah, what are some of your favorite resources for parents maybe to check out, to learn, to empower themselves? Um, Suzanne Humphreys has some great stuff on vitamin C, and I know she even has a protocol for pertussis, which is a very severe, and she brought a, a lot of information that like, they did some studies showing that as little as a thousand milligrams of vitamin C neutralized tetanus toxin and uh, brought people back from being very, very ill with tetanus and they survived. These are people that were already ill. And so there have been some studies that show um, that, that there are alternate ways, you know, some of this, I think we need to sort of collate. I know Dr. Paul Merrick has done an amazing study on sepsis, which is like when your body just goes hyperinflammatory, like kind of like you have a bacterial infection and, and show that vitamin C and, uh, you know, a steroid and niacin, I mean, and thymine and a thymine. few other things are enough to bring that body back. And so I think we're on the cusp, like I actually started a business called new health paradigms and I do go and educate. Um, and so I think that we just need to do more of that educating. I don't know that there are a lot of really central sources. I know that Dr. Paul Thomas, you know, has a great book out called The Vaccine-Friendly Plan that sort of breaks it down. And I think that those are, are wonderful bridges because what he does is he shows which vaccines that parents are going to be, um, like most parents are going to want to get the DTaP, right? Because pertussis is a very serious illness and that's understandable. So he sort of breaks it down and allows them to step into it gradually and not feel like, okay, I have to do all or none, yeah. you know, he, that they he can. Has, I'm going to interrupt you here because he has said that he doesn't think the vaccine friendly plan is friendly enough. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't because he's that's learned his so experience. Much sense. Yeah. Right. That's his experience because yeah. he's been working with these populations of vaccinated and unvaccinated children. Yeah. But when, when parents are going from getting every vaccine, yeah. they have to walk that journey themselves and yeah. they have to feel confident in their ability to parent. Yeah. And one way to do that is to reduce them, you know, 
to the ones that they feel are absolutely essential and then bring in some of these other things like vitamin C and vitamin D and going to the beach and getting some sun and, 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 and allow them to be confident in their ability to parent. Yeah. And this is where I think it's really important to have a trusted healthcare practitioner that is aligned with your approach to health and wellness by your side, because when your child gets that high fever or they're coughing until they throw up, which my son did when he was four, you can reach out to that practitioner you trust and get them on the phone or whatever, and they will guide you through it. So you don't panic, you know? Um, and in my case, it was, I, my naturopath said, do you have any homeopathic cough syrup? And I said, yes. And she says, well, just dab a little on, on your sons on the inner mouth there. It will absorb through the mouth. It's got homeopathic Ipecac in it. It will stop the gagging from the cough and he'll mm-hmm. stop throwing up. And it worked within minutes, you know? And um, so just having that professional who can guide you or to say, you know, it might be time to go to the ER or it might be time to do this, right? But just to guide you so you don't panic and, and just so you feel confident in the decisions that you make if you choose something other than what's being pressured at you. Right. Um, yeah. I, would, I just want, I would also add, because you really made me remember that we need to reach out to our practitioners, even if they're more traditional, because a lot of times they're our friends and neighbors. So, you know, our doctor, you know, again, you know, a lovely, lovely person. And um, both I and other people had reached out because it's a very small community here and given her information. And I was really surprised in this whole COVID hyper era um, to go in with my 12 year old special needs daughter and have them say, you know, the nurse practitioner say, okay, so no vaccines today then? Like, I didn't say anything, you know, um, they had just seen in the past that I had declined yeah. them and then just assumed that I wouldn't be wanting any. And I was like, that's really refreshing. So I think that we need to reach out with information to those in our circle of influence and not assume that they're not going to be open to that. Yeah. Yeah. Javier, did you have something to add there? You know, Bernadette's just been talking a mile and a <laughs> No, I, this is just uh, refreshing and, and great to hear and uh, to see someone uh, uh, with with your credentials and your experience come forward and, and just be uh, fearless in, in, in bringing this information forward. And also to seek allies where you least expect them, which is also refreshing to, to hear, which is our primary care physicians uh, in our communities. So it's sounding a very hopeful note in a time when things don't look as hopeful as we would like them to be. So this is, again, great. And thank you for, for stepping up and speaking out like that. Yeah, I well, agree. I agree with that. And, you know, it just shows the power of conversation and the power of isolation in keeping conversations from happening. We need to talk neighbor to neighbor. I think we have much more in common with each other. And there's a lot of fear keeping us from having these important dialogue, but it needs to happen. You know, we need to, to come together this way. So um, Dr. Parks, tell me a little bit more. Let me check the time. We've got just like three more minutes. You said that you do have now something that you're doing with your education, educating on health. T- tell me more about that. I want to hear. Well, I did start a business called New Health Paradigms, and it wasn't specifically just about vaccines because um, healthcare has become much more complex. People are getting in vitro fertilization. 
Um, and there are things like gene therapy on the horizon. There's monoclonal antibodies and people don't realize that any medication that you see advertised that has an MAB at the end, like I can't even say most of their names, honestly, but you see them advertised in their whatever a bab. That's mm -hmm. a monoclonal antibody. And mm -hmm. people are like, they're like, well, why are you telling me that? I don't even know what a monoclonal antibody. That's the point. So with my, um, my business, New Health Paradigms, it's about explaining the science so people can understand and have an informed choice. But it's also about looking at the epigenetic susceptibilities to different medical procedures. And, you know, I can interpret like people's genetic, a lot of people get their, um, their genes run and they're looking for MTHFR, or they're looking for, or do they have a mutation in their vitamin D receptor and sort of interpret that information because a lot of people are trying to come back to good health and they don't even know where to begin and they feel like they can't do everything. And I can say, look, you don't really seem to have problems with your gut. Maybe you don't need to go on this whole gluten-free, you know, da, 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 da diet, or you do have problems with your gut. You really need to focus that because you've had some epigenetic susceptibilities. And so that's part of it. But part of it is speaking out and just educating and many people invite me right now. I'm speaking local because um, I do have a special needs daughter. And so I don't do a lot of traveling, but I do do a lot of, of this type of thing of zooms and things like that. And so, yeah, I want to educate because I really believe the more and more I find out, um, I'm a Christian and I believe we have a creator that created us, um, so amazingly. And it, as we find out more and more, there's just layer of regulation on layer of regulation on layer of regulation. So you just start laughing because it's so glorious, so complex, not anything that we as men you know, human beings could even try to replicate. And I want people to understand that we are gloriously designed and God made us to live healthy lives and that he presented us with all these wonderful things, things like turmeric and, um, you know, cod liver oil or, you know, many, many different things in our environment to support and nurture our health. And that we now have the data to show how those even work at the epigenetic level, how those are turning on genes, how they're doing um, wonderful things for our body before people say, oh, don't take that. That's just a wives tale. And now we have some really solid science to say that many of these things that are herbs and things are very effective and we know how. And so I want to change that paradigm um, and just help people think differently about their health. Oh, that is fantastic. And we're just out of time, but I, will you come back? I want a whole hour dedicated to exactly what you're talking about here. I want a hopeful, positive, empowering hour of new health paradigm. Is there a website you can tell us real quick? I don't have a website. I do have a telegram page right now. That's mostly, um, uh, for disseminating information on COVID related okay. things, because that's everybody's hair is on fire with that. Okay. And so we're trying to get people information on mandates, on vaccines, on the science of that. Um, but in the future, I hope to have my own webpage up and we'll see okay. how that goes one thing at a time. Yeah, you keep us posted. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Javier, for another great hour of an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW. We'll see you all next week. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. 
For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.